0: Coming up next on Contemplate.
1: Last week, I mentioned that it'll be amazing to see the ripples of our obedience. I'm talking about like when you throw a rock in the water and it ripples out, right? And it goes a long way. Your obedience to Christ is like that. When you do, when you're obedient and you follow what Christ has called you to do, those ripples, they go out. They go out into the world. And you have no idea how far they might go. If you want to see the ripples go far, get a bigger rock, more obedience, More obedience, bigger ripples.
0: As we saw in our last episode, Saul met Jesus on the road to Damascus and had his world turned upside down. So what happened next? Here's Pastor David to let us know.
1: So he finds out what Jesus has in store for him to be this this witness for him. Um, And and to go out to these Gentiles and and before kings and all these different things. So Jesus tells him to go in the city, right? That's what we just read. He's going to get more instructions. So let's look at the next few verses, 7 through 9. It says, And the man who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank." So the people with Saul hear this voice. Um, It it does not appear from the text that they could understand the words. They they knew there was a voice. They could hear the sound. But it does not appear from there that they understood the words. What they did do, they were witnesses to what was happening to to Saul. That he was indeed having this experience. They were witnesses to that. But we don't get the impression that they necessarily heard what Jesus was saying to him. Okay? Um, And then Saul, this is done, and he can't see anymore can't see anyone so they're literally having to, this this strong man this this man breathing these threats and violence and whatever he's having to be led by the hand as a blind man into the city meanwhile okay meanwhile we're going to talk about another person who's in Damascus at this time okay 9 10 through 12 now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias and to him the lord said in a vision Ananias and he said here I am lord so the lord said to him arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in the vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Okay, so Ananias is this Jewish man living in Damascus who's become a follower of Christ, a disciple. How has, he, how has this happened? Probably from the people who dispersed from Jerusalem and brought the message of Jesus Christ with them. And this guy has come to know Jesus, and here the Lord comes to him and says, In a vision, here's your vision. I'm telling you go do this. At the same time, I'm giving this guy a vision that you're gonna come to him, right? So what does Ananias do? He gets the instructions from the Lord. What's the next thing he does? This is what he says. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. I think this is kind of hilarious because Ananias is like me. The Lord says, David, go do this. And I say, have you thought about this? Are you sure you're familiar with all the facts here? Right? Um, because if you knew what I know, you'd make a different decision. Right? So Ananias says, now, this is what's going on. This is the guy. And this, this shows that the people in Damascus already knew him, were afraid. They knew he was coming to get him right? They had already heard about this. The, the synagogue, no doubt this had gone out. Hey, we're coming after you. So these guys are already afraid, right? And he's saying, Lord, do you know that the Saul you're talking about is this guy? As if the Lord's going to say, oh, I thought it was Saul Smith. No problem. Stay there. It's that Saul. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I, you know, I was busy. I don't know everything, right? Um, he does know everything. It's, it's useless to argue with him. Useless and silly. And yet we do it. I do it. Let me pretend like you guys don't do it. You're shaking your heads like, oh, that's horrible. (laughs) Pastor David, how can you argue with the Lord? Um, We do it, right? Because the Lord asks us to do things sometimes, and we're thinking, I don't know that I want to do that. I don't know that I want to be obedient here. That seems like a hard thing to do. Let's put that off. How about I'll be obedient over here? How about I'll go do this thing? Uh, How about I increase that, that giving at church? How about I do this thing? I don't want to go do this thing that you're calling me to do. Do you know about how hard that's going to be, Lord? The answer is always, yes, he does, right? (laughs) He knows. You can't instruct the Lord. He knows everything, okay? Now, this is one of those points we've talked about descriptive and prescriptive. Descriptive, just describing what happens. Prescriptive, how we ought to act. This is descriptive. Ananias should not be arguing with the Lord. The proper response when you get a vision from Jesus is to say, yes, sir. I will do what you call me to do. It's to, just like we saw with Philip. Lord, there's the, the, the angel comes to him, says, go do this thing. And he says, he got up and did it. That was prescriptive. This is descriptive. Ananias wants to argue. Now, you can't hardly blame him. He's afraid. Nevertheless, he doesn't just automatically obey. So what does the Lord say? But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. The first thing he says is, go. Kind of like my kid says something to me, well, can you explain it? My answer sometimes is gonna be, you better get going, right? And then maybe I'll throw him a bone. The reason I need you to do it is because I'm lazy or whatever it happens to be, right? In this case, the Lord says, Gives him, gives him this information about Paul, right? Tells Ananias that, that Paul is going to go before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. That all of a sudden, this guy, Saul, who has been persecuting the church, murderous, angry, is now going to be used of Jesus Christ. This has got to be flipping the script in a big way for Ananias. Crazy for him to think about, right? That, that that's what's going to happen, that, that Saul is going to be a Christ follower. This is not... It may be, you know, we're reading a story, it may be hard, but you have to understand how crazy this type of thing is. Think of the worst person you know in terms of the way that they live, and imagine that in a moment, that person is going to become a Christ follower and go preach the gospel everywhere. That's the experience Ananias is having, right? God tells Ananias that Paul will have to suffer for the Lord. Now, this is not a popular part of Christianity. But it could not be any more clear from the Bible that those who follow Christ will suffer. Not may suffer, will suffer. The message that Christianity will make your life easier is not biblical. It's not from here. If somebody tells you that, they're trying to sell you something. Okay? That's not what's going on. That's not what the Christian life is. Jesus is not an iPhone. He is not a device that makes your life more simple or lets you do more with less time or something like that, okay? Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. You don't get to just, you know, say, hey, I need the new car and I need the new this and name it and claim it, get whatever you want. Jesus is none of those things. You know what he is? He's the creator of the universe. He's a consuming fire, the great king and the lover of your soul. And what he wants with you is relationship, Real relationship, and there is always suffering on this world in this fallen world. Love always includes suffering, and who modeled it for us? He did. What does it say? How do we know that He loved us? It says, Because while we were yet sinners, while we were in rebellion, while we were against Him, like Saul is here, He died for us. Talk about suffering that's suffering, and what does it tell us that He loves? That he loves. He modeled that for us. We have to be willing to suffer in any relationship where we love somebody. If if I just asked you, what would you do for your spouse? What would you do for your kids? There's a great depth that you would go to in suffering and pain for your children or for your spouse. All the more so for the creator of the universe and the father of your children and your spouse. Right? He's calling you into suffering that that's gonna be part of what's going on. But we don't like that. We like the benefits, we like the bennies. We don't like the pain. We don't like the pain. I knew a guy in Tennessee, he's an attorney, um, and he was kind of slight, had a slight build, uh, kind of small, not very muscular. uh, But he wanted to be bigger and impress the ladies and all this type of stuff, right? And so he had some friends, I guess, that he knew, or some people that he knew that were doing steroids and bulking up and getting big and whatever. And, and so he's like, I want to do that. I want to take steroids and get all big and, you know, be able to, you know, do this whole thing. And the girls are going to think that I'm, you know, whatever, you know. So this guy finds this out, but he goes and he asks these guys, okay, I want to do, I want to get all big. i gonna take steroids. Let's do it. And he found out that you don't get big by just taking the steroids. You actually have to work out also. That you take the steroids and that makes your workouts more effective and makes you bigger. As soon as he found that you had to work out, he's like, no way, right? I want to look like Thor. You guys have seen the movie Thor, (laughs) ladies, right? Okay, I want to look like that, but I recognize the suffering and pain I'd have to go through to do it. And you're here with this balancing thing of six hours a day or eat Krispy Kreme. And I think you can all see which side of that I fell on, right? Um, the bottom line is is that anything difficult, anything that you do that you love, that whatever, any person that you love, you have to be willing to suffer for. And the Christian life is a tough one. Anything excellent requires suffering, okay? Now, it's not all bad news. The fact is, is that suffering for Christ is actually good and life-giving. And that may sound strange to you, but you knew if you're married, you knew that marriage would be hard and there'd be suffering involved, right? If you listened to anyone who had ever been married, they told you that when you got married, there would be a lot of times of difficulty and suffering, right? But yet you, not only did you get married, but you went into it joyfully, welcoming that pain for the joy of being in mad love with your spouse, For that joy, you are willing to face the pain. Following Jesus is the same way. It's the same way. There might be pain, but pain in a relationship with Jesus is a million times better than all the pleasure in the world without him. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, even if it were possible that the experience, if it can be called experience, of the loss, he's talking about people who go to hell, if the lost, the people in hell, if it contained no pain and much pleasure, still that black pleasure would be such as to send any soul not already damned flying to its prayers in nightmare terror. Even if there were pains in heaven, all who understand would desire them. There is a pain that brings joy. And the suffering that we do for the Lord brings joy. Okay, I'm never going to tell you this. Okay, here's the point: I'm never going to tell you that it's easy to be a Christian. I'm never going to tell you that you're going to get all that you want if you'll just follow Christ. Okay, that's that's salesmanship, not the gospel, not the Bible. Right? I know it's hard. I say go out and talk about Jesus, and you're like, okay. So if I do this correctly, I've got to say. Um, If you follow Jesus, here's what you get. You get to deny yourself, pick up your cross, meaning death, and follow him every day. Um, You have to face persecution. This is not a great sales pitch. I'll just be honest with you, okay? Nevertheless, it does work because we're here and we know that it's worth it. We know that it's worth it. Mm -hmm. You will, um, in the end, find every piece of suffering that you did in the name of Christ to be so worth it. So worth it. You will have joy in it, and you will treasure that suffering that you've got to do, because you know that it's the proof of your love for him. Let's get back to the passage. 17 through 19. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, on Saul, he said, He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. First, Ananias is obedient. Next, he lays his hands on Saul something we still do in the church. When we bring in deacons, when we bring in elders, when we're praying for healing, all kinds of different stuff where we lay our hands on someone. This comes all the way from back in the Old Testament. And we see it here. Next, Saul's healed. These scales fall off his eyes. He regains his sight. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's baptized. Once again, we see this. He identifies himself with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and says to the world, I'm a Christ follower, which I'm telling you right now would have been a big, deal to the Christians who were there in Damascus to see this guy who they had been afraid and were hiding from now saying, I'm one of you. I would have been a little bit skeptical, okay? Not everybody immediately says, oh yeah, I believe that he's really a Christian. You know, that guy who was, you know, wanted to kill all the Christians. Yeah, I believe it's it's for real. That's not the way it worked. Um, Nevertheless, the conversion is complete. It's real and it's an absolute miracle this zealous persecutor of the church becomes a follower of Christ. Now, there are a couple things quickly that I want to take from this story. One, Ananias, the ripples of his obedience lead to Paul's ministry. Last week, I mentioned that it'll be amazing to see the ripples of our obedience. I'm talking about like when you throw a rock in the water and it ripples out, right? And it goes a long way. Your obedience to Christ is like that. When you do, when you're obedient and you follow what Christ has called you to do, those ripples, they go out. They go out into the world. And you have no idea how far they might go. If you want to see the ripples go far, get a bigger rock. More obedience. More obedience. Bigger ripples. right? Ananias here has to do something hard. Legitimately hard, right? Because he's scared of Saul. And so he has to go in into a space where if, if he's wrong... This guy is going to put him in chains, drag him to Jerusalem, and his life is in danger. And nevertheless, he was obedient. And guess what? In his obedience, he ends up being a part of the ministry of Saul, who becomes Paul the Apostle, and brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world at the time. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write at least 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Ananias' obedience had some serious ripples far and wide, so much so that the ripples of Ananias' obedience in that moment have rippled all the way to this room and these people on this day. And we're reading about it now. And, and, And Paul's ministry to the Gentiles is the reason why us Gentiles are right here reading the word and learning about who Jesus Christ is. That's some big ripples. That's some big ripples. You will not always know where the ripples of your obedience will go. And even in very small things, God can do very great things. And so we must be obedient. We must be obedient. Every time we honor God with our integrity, doing what's right even when no one's looking, with our money, with our giving, you don't know this offering that we took for these people in Alaska and this family is shown that kind of love, that that might not be the tipping point for someone to come to know Jesus Christ and have eternity with him because of your gift, because instead of buying a Starbucks or a boat, or I don't know how much you gave, whatever, but instead of doing that thing, you gave to this thing. And because of that, when it gets there, there may be people that come to know Jesus Christ because of your, the ripples of your wallet, the ripples of you setting up a chair that that person sits in that becomes the next Billy Graham, right? You don't know. You have no idea how far your obedience will ripple Keep that in mind each time that you're choosing whether you're going to be obedient or not, how far it may go. The next thing, last thing is, Saul is an unlikely convert. And you you need to understand how unlikely Saul is as a convert to Christianity, okay? Um, If you ever begin to think that you're too bad, you've done too many wrong things to come to the Lord, remember Paul. This is what he says in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He's not being humble, FYI. He is not being humble. He really believed that he was the worst sinner. Why did he believe that? Well, he was trying to destroy the church, Jesus Christ's church. I mean, literally destroy it. Literally put people in prison, see people put to death, tortured, the whole rest of it, right? Beaten, all of this. This was he was breathing threats and murder. We just read that against Christ. Remember, Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? This is who he was. So whatever you've done, what Paul was doing where his heart was is worse than where yours was. And yet, not only did the Lord have the grace to save Paul out of his sinfulness, he gave him the opportunity to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. You're not too far. You never will be. You never will be. You can be transformed like Saul from an enemy of Jesus to his child. Jesus loved Saul and he loves you. He loves you, and he wants you to be with him. I was once like Saul. I was blind, but now I see. See, Paul's blindness, this physical blindness that he gets, is mirroring the spiritual blindness that he had, right? That's what's going on, and I was spiritually blind, and there are many who are. This is what um, Jesus says to the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3.17. It says, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Look around you. Walk out into this neighborhood, into this city, in this whole country, okay? In so much of the Western world, and you will see a bunch of people who are rich and who think they have no need of God, and yet, and yet, they're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked and naked, and they don't even know it. They don't even know it. And we're called to be the light. We saw the light here, right? Paul sees the light. We are called to bring the light of Jesus Christ to those who are blind, that they might see, that they might have life. We need to help others. We need to have boldness in our obedience to see other people come to know Christ. Okay, so let's be obedient. Let's be obedient. Let's show the grace that Jesus has shown us to other people that we might see those ripples of obedience go out and transform lives, save people from death, from blindness, and bring them to life and sight and redemption, transformation of families, of individuals. Let's work for that. Let's be obedient. Let's see where those ripples can go.
0: Truly, God wants to have an encounter with each of us and transform our lives, too. And if you're still kind of on the outside looking in at all this, but want more, we'd love to help. Call us at 360-885-9000. Or better yet, come see us at Acts Church in Vancouver, Washington, this Sunday morning. We'll answer your questions and help your life become all it was meant to be. Get all the info you need at actschurchnw.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll click on the next episode for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.